spectra, photons, and wave particle duality. So you will now be familiar with the electromagnetic spectrum and the terms used to describe a wave, that is wavelength, frequency, amplitude, and the wave velocity. In this chapter, you will learn about spectra, the photoelectric effect, and electron diffraction, and what these tell us about the dual nature of the light particles. Now let us understand the emission spectra. Visible light is a part of the electromagnetic or EM spectrum. The EM spectrum covers an enormous range of wavelengths, from radio waves which can be hundreds of kilometers long, to gamma radiation with wavelengths of 10 to the power 12 minus 12 meters. Our eyes can only detect the very small range of wavelengths between 400 nanometer violet visible light and 700 nanometer that is the red visible light. It is no coincidence that this is the part of the electromagnetic spectrum that penetrates the Earth's atmosphere most effectively. All objects emit electromagnetic radiation as a result of the thermal motion of their molecules. This is the thermal radiation. The radiation is emitted across a range of wavelengths known as emission spectrum. The peak wavelength, the wavelength at which most radiation is emitted, and the overall intensity of the radiation emitted depend on the object's temperature. When an object is heated, more radiation is emitted, particularly at shorter wavelengths. At room temperature, objects emit most of the radiation in the infrared region of the spectrum. For example, people are not hot enough to glow visibly in the dark. A surface temperature of around 27 degrees centigrade, that is 300 kelvins, means that we emit radiation in the infrared part of the spectrum. This false color infrared image shows the cool parts of the body as blue and the hotter parts as red. Such images can be used to study the effects of exercise on athletes. Now a star like our sun will, with a surface temperature of more than 6000 degrees centigrade, emits radiation across the entire electromagnetic spectrum. But most of the radiation is in the visible part of the spectrum with a peak in the yellow region. The link between wavelength, that is color, and temperature only applies to emitted light. Not that it is reflected from other sources not the light that is reflected from other sources. Now let us understand line spectra. The electromagnetic radiation from an object can tell us about the temperature of its source and it can also tell us about its composition. Light can be analyzed by using a prism or a diffraction grating to disperse it into its separate wavelength. In some cases, this produces an emission spectrum which appears as a series of sharp bright lines against a darker background called a line spectrum. Line spectra are produced by hot, low-pressure monoatomic gases. Experiments on such gases have shown that each element produces a unique set of lines. The emission lines from hydrogen include bright red line as well as some fainter blue and purple lines. The combination, seen without a diffraction grating, appears red to the human eye. The spectra from atoms that are closer together, such as in high-pressure gases, are more complex and appear as bands rather than lines. 
Spectra from hot solids and liquids are continuous spectra, like the rainbow, which is the spectrum of visible light from the sun. The line spectrum of hydrogen was first observed in 1853. Those of another elements followed. Classical physics, the laws of physics as they were understood at the end of the 19th century, could not explain why each element emitted only a certain specific color. At the beginning of the 20th century, Niels Bohr and Max Planck make advances that were critical to our understanding of the spectra and atoms. Bohr's Hydrogen Atom Niels Bohr built on Rutherford's theory of nuclear atom. The hydrogen atom was thought to contain one electron orbiting around a positively charged nucleus. But there was a problem. According to classical physics, all charged particles emit radiation when they accelerate. An orbiting electron is constantly changing its velocity. In fact, it is accelerating towards the center of its orbit. So, an orbiting electron should be radiating, thereby losing its energy. This is similar to a satellite orbiting Earth. If the satellite loses energy as it travels through the upper atmosphere, it will lose height and eventually crash to the ground. Rutherford's hydrogen atom would be unstable in the same way. As an electron radiated energy, it would spiral down into the nucleus. In 1913, Bohr made the bold suggestion that classical physics did not apply to electrons in atoms. He argued that an electron in an atom could only move in certain allowed orbits. In these allowed orbits, the electron could exist without losing energy. Bohr called these orbits stationary states. Each stationary state corresponds to a specific electron energy. These are represented in an energy level diagram. Bohr suggested that the electron in a hydrogen atom can only gain or lose energy when it jumps from one energy level to another. The electron is not allowed to be between levels. If the electron is to make a jump between orbits, it has to lose or gain exactly the right amount of energy. If the electron moves to a lower energy level, it has to lose energy. It does so by emitting electromagnetic radiation, light for example. In the Bohr model, the line spectrum of an element is caused by electrons making transitions from higher allowed energy levels to lower ones, emitting light in the process. An electron in an atomic energy level is considered to have negative energy. This is because electron is in a bound state held in the atom by the electromagnetic attraction. The electron needs to gain energy to become free. An electron that is just free of the atom has zero energy. On an energy level diagram, the energy levels are labeled with negative energies which indicate how much energy the electron would need to escape from the atom. 
An electron with a positive energy is free of the atom and has some kinetic energy. The energy values are given in the unit of electron volt or EV. One electron volt is the energy gained by an electron when it is accelerated through a potential difference of one volt. A hydrogen atom has only one electron. When the electron is in its lowest possible energy level, the hydrogen atom is said to be in the ground state. In this orbit, the electron cannot lose any more energy. This is the most stable state. The electron can move to a higher energy level in a process called excitation. The energy could come from either of the following. First is collisions. Energy can be transferred to an atomic electron when there is a collision with another particle, such as a free electron. Radiation. Energy can also be transferred to the atomic electron if it absorbs exactly the right amount of energy from EM radiation, such as light. When an electron is in a higher energy level, let's say E2, it can drop to a lower energy level E1, emitting radiation. The energy of the radiation emitted as a result of this transition is exactly equal to that lost by the electron. That is the energy difference between the two levels of E2 minus E1. Sometimes the energy transferred to an atomic electron during a collusion is so great that it is completely knocked out of the atom and this process is called ionization. So if you look at this, elastic scattering, the energy of the incident electron is not enough to lift the atomic electron to the next allowed orbit. The atomic electron cannot absorb any of the incident's electron kinetic energy. The incident electron is elastically scattered. That's it, that is, it loses no kinetic energy. In the, the second case of inelastic scattering, the energy of the incident electron is greater than the energy gap between the two allowed orbits. Some of the energy of the incident electron transfers to the atomic electron, raising it to a higher energy level. The atom is said to be in an excited state. Later, the atomic electron falls back to its original orbit, emitting radiation in the process. The incident electron is scattered, losing kinetic energy in the collision. And if you look at the case of ionization, the kinetic energy of the incident electron is greater than the negative energy of the atomic electron's orbit, that is the ionization energy. The atomic electron is knocked completely out of the orbit and becomes a free electron. Any excess energy will appear as a kinetic energy of the two electrons. Bohr's theory which allows electrons in atoms to gain or lose energy only in steps of an exact size, was a revolutionary idea. In classical physics, energy is a continuous quantity. It can take any value. But in Bohr's quantum theory, the energy of an electron in an atom can only take certain discrete values. In other words, the el electron's energy is quantized. This is why the spectrum of light from a gas is made up of lines rather than all the colors of the spectrum. Bohr's model of the hydrogen atom predicted which wavelengths of light would be emitted and his calculations were in excellent agreement with the observed hydrogen spectrum. 
So the key ideas that we discussed in this section were first, all objects emit electromagnetic waves due to the thermal motion of their atoms. The amount of radiation and the wavelengths emitted depend on the temperature. Low pressure gases or vapors emit defined wavelengths producing an emission line spectrum. Bohr's theory of atom explained line spectra by suggesting that in any atom, electrons can only occupy discrete energy levels or orbits. Electrons can be excited to a higher orbit by absorbing specific amount of energy. When electrons move to a lower orbit, they emit a specific amount of energy as radiation. Electrons must gain or lose an exact amount of energy to move between allowed orbits. The Photon In July 1900, new and accurate measurements of the thermal radiation from hot objects were published. These confirmed that there was a large discrepancy between theory and experiment. Physics had no satisfactory explanation for the relationship between intensity and wavelength. Max Planck managed to solve the problem by suggesting that electromagnetic radiation could only be absorbed or em emitted in packets of a certain energy. Classical physics treated radiation energy as continuous, and any quantity of energy could be transferred. Planck's revolutionary idea was to assume that radiation energy was transferred only in discrete lumps. These lumps, or energy quanta, became known as photons. Planck suggested that it was only possible to emit energy as a whole number of photons. His idea was beginning of the quantum theory of radiation. By assuming this, Planck could generate a theoretical graph of intensity against wavelength. His curve matched the experimental results well. His assumption was justified. Electromagnetic radiation energy can only be emitted in discrete amounts. According to Planck's theory, the amount of energy transferred by a photon depends on the frequency of the radiation. A photon of ultraviolet light transfers more energy than a photon of infrared light. Planck stated that the energy of, an of a photon, represented by the capital letter E, is related to the frequency f of the electromagnetic radiation by the equation E equals h times f where h is the constant known as the Planck's constant and h is equal to 6.626 into 10 to the power minus 34 joule seconds. As the frequency of the wave is related to its wavelength lambda by the formula f equals c by lambda, where c is the speed of the electromagnetic radiation in a vacuum, Planck's formula for the energy of a photon can also be written as E equals hc by lambda. So now let's look at how we explain the emission line spectra. So Planck's photons and Bohr's energy levels together give us a way of explaining the line spectra. Each time an electron in an atom falls to a lower energy level, a photon is emitted. 
the energy of the emitted photon h times f must be equal to the energy lost by the electron that is delta e so we have delta equals at delta e equals hf but since we have c equals f time lambda we can write this as delta e equals h times c divided by lambda in a hydrogen atom small energy changes lead to the emission of photons in the infrared region larger energy changes emit visible light the largest energy changes where an electron falls back to the ground state lead to the emission of the ultraviolet radiation hydrogen is the simplest atom it only has one electron the energy level diagrams for other atoms are more complicated but the same principles apply the atoms of each element have their own set of allowed energy levels so every element has a unique line spectrum that identifies it niels bohr said that line spectrum was like a stained glass window looking into the heart of the atom now let's look at the fluorescent lights and the electron energy levels fluorescent lights have long been used as strip lights in kitchens classrooms and offices nowadays small light bulb size versions are common as low energy bulbs these are compact fluorescent lights which are much more efficient than filament lights they do not rely on getting hot to emit light fluorescent lamps have an electrode at both ends of a tube containing a low pressure unreactive gas such as argon or neon and some mercury vapor electrons accelerate down the tube colliding with mercury atoms as they do so the collision can knock an electron out of a mercury atom ionizing it if the missing electron came from a lower energy level another electron will fall from a higher level to fill the gap this will cause the emission of a photon elements such as mercury with a high atomic number have large energy gaps between allowed levels so high energy photons are emitted usually in the ultraviolet region fluorescent lamps are very efficient at producing ultraviolet radiation but that is not really what we need from a light bulb a stage second stage of the photon emission happens when the ultraviolet photons are absorbed by the phosphor that is coated on the inside of the lamp as the photons are absorbed electrons in the atoms of the phosphors are raised to a higher energy level these electrons fall back to lower energies but not necessarily in one transition so rather than re-emit ultraviolet radiation two or more photons of visible light could be emitted by choosing a phosphor with the right spacing of energy levels the fluorescent tube can be made to emit just about any color we choose these photons of visible light pass straight through the glass tube but any ultraviolet radiation that is not absorbed by the phosphor is likely to be absorbed by the gas by the glass absorption spectra the spectrum from the sun is continuous but a higher resolution image shows a series of dark lines superimposed on it the set of dark lines are the sun's absorption spectrum 
The lines represent the wavelengths at which photons have been absorbed by cooler gases in the outer regions of the sun. Only radiation that is exactly the right amount of energy to lift an electron in the cooler gases atoms from one allowed energy level to another will be absorbed. When atoms in the cooler gases return to their ground state, they may do so via intermediate energy levels, emitting radiation of other frequencies. The atoms also emit radiations in all directions. These effects reduce the intensity of the absorbed radiation traveling towards Earth, so producing dark lines at specific frequencies in the spectra. Absorption lines can also be observed in the laboratory by shining a strong white light through a vapor. As early as 1859, Gustav Kirchhoff related the dark lines to particular elements. He observed the sun spectrum through a flame into which he sprinkled some kitchen salt, that is sodium chloride. He found that some of the lines in the sun spectrum darkened. Kirchhoff concluded that there must be sodium in the sun. Just as in emission, each element has its own unique absorption spectrum. Helium was discovered in the sun by its absorption spectra before it was found on Earth. So the key ideas that we discussed here are Electromagnetic radiation is emitted and absorbed in quanta, that is discrete amounts of energy that is known as photons. The energy E of a photon is related to its frequency f and wavelength by E equals hf or E equals hc by lambda where h is the Planck's constant. A photon emitted from an atom when an electron moves to a lower energy level. The larger the gap delta E between energy levels, the higher the frequency of electromagnetic radiation emitted. The energy of the photon is given by delta hf delta e equals e1 minus e2 equals hf, where e1 and e2 are higher and lower allowed energy levels in the atom. The lines in an emission spectrum show the frequencies with which radiation is emitted. These are characteristic of the element that produce them. The photoelectric effect. The idea that radiation is emitted in discrete amounts of energy as photons casts the first doubts about the wave theory of light. Another discovery, the photoelectric effect, was also making physicists re-examine their ideas about the nature of light. Henrik Hertz observed that the photoelectric effect in 1887 when he noticed that his spark transmitter worked better when illuminated with ultraviolet light. The photoelectric effect occurs when light knocks electrons out of the surface of a metal. The effect depends on the type of the metal and crucially on the wavelength of the light use. A gold leaf electroscope can be used to demonstrate the photoelectric effect. If you touch the metal disc at the top with a charged object, the gold leaf will rise. If you then touch the disc again, and transfer more charge, the leaf will rise further. If you touch the disc with a wire connected to the earth or touch it with your finger, the charge can escape and the leaf will fall. Suppose the electroscope is charged with negative charges. 
so that the disc has excess electrons. Some of these will travel down to the gold leaf, which will rise. If we could knock down electrons out of the surface of the metal, we should be able to remove the extra electrons and so the gold leaf will fall. The type of metal used for the disc of the electroscope is quite important. A clean piece of zinc is often used to demonstrate the effect in a school laboratory. The zinc is placed on the cap of the electroscope, which is then charged from the negative terminal of an HD supply, so that gold leaf rises. Light from several different sources is then shown onto the zinc, and then you can find some of the typical results that you find in the table in your textbook. So when you, let's say, show dim red light, it has no effect. Bright light, red light will have no effect. Visible red light laser will also have not no effect. But when an ultraviolet lamp is shown on that, the gold leaf will fall immediately. So not all wavelengths of light can cause photoelectric effect. The electrons to be emitted from a metal surface for the electrons to be emitted from a metal surface, the frequency has to be above a certain minimum value. That's called the threshold frequency. If the frequency of the incident radiation is below the threshold, the electrons remain bound to the positive ions in the metal surface. Each metal has a different threshold frequency. For sodium, it is 5.5 into 10 to the power 14 hertz which is in the yellow part of the spectrum. Blue or violet light can eject electrons from sodium, whereas red light cannot. An incident photon has to provide enough energy to free an electron from the metal surface. This energy is known as the work function, phi, of the metal. The work function of a metal is the minimum photon energy required to free one electron from the surface of the metal. So phi equals HFT, where FT is the threshold frequency. Now it is difficult to explain the photoelectric effect using a wave theory of light. There are several problems in trying to do this through wave theory. First, the energy carried by a wave depends on its amplitude. Think of a water wave. A wave of a larger amplitude carries more energy. In the case of a light wave, a larger amplitude means brighter light. If the light has insufficient energy to knock electrons out of the metal, wave theory says that a brighter light would work. However, experiments show that light below the threshold frequency cannot dislodge electrons, no matter how bright it is. Several intense red lasers will not prize a single electron from the zinc, whereas a less intense ultraviolet glow does it so easily. The second problem is that of prompt emission. Provided that the light is above the threshold frequency, electrons are emitted immediately. If the light was a wave, we might expect the electrons to gradually pick up energy from the wave so that a weak light would take some time to dislodge an electron. The third problem in using wave theory is that when electrons are emitted from the surface of the metal, their kinetic energy depends on the frequency of the light, but not on the amplitude. Wave theory would suggest that the electrons would be emitted with more energy if the light was brighter. Now, experiments also show that, provided the incident light has a frequency above the threshold frequency, 
the number of electrons emitted per second that is the photoelectric current is proportional to the intensity of the light the brighter the light the larger the photoelectric current this result can be explained using either the wave model or the photon model of light the photon model of electromagnetic radiation is successful at describing the photoelectric effect instead of waves hitting the metal we need to think of particles of light each one a small packet of energy that depends on the frequency of the light so the photon theory proposes first below the threshold frequency a photon does not have enough energy to free an electron so illuminating a piece of negatively charged zinc with red light will have no effect making the red light brighter just means more low energy photons none of which will have sufficient energy to dislodge an electron at the threshold frequency one photon has just enough energy to free one electron there would be no excess energy left to give the electron any kinetic energy when a photon is absorbed all energy is immediately transferred to one electron which is ejected from the surface with no delay above the threshold frequency all of the photon's energy is absorbed some of this energy is used to liberate the electron from the surface and any energy left over is transferred as kinetic energy of the electron energy is conserved a more intense light can be thought of as more photons per second so above the threshold frequency a brighter light means that more electrons will be ejected per second one analogy for the photoelectric effect is a coconut shy the coconuts are electrons held in their strands like the electrons are held in the surface of the metal someone throws a ping pong table tennis balls at the coconuts which has no effect however many balls are thrown someone else is shooting bullets at them each one knocking off a coconut the ping pong balls are photons of light below the threshold frequency while the bullets are the high energy photons in 1905 einstein extended planck's theory of photons and derived an equation that describes the photoelectric effect einstein realized that the electromagnetic radiation such as light is not only emitted in discrete amounts or quanta of energy but it is also absorbed in discrete amounts too when a photon strikes a metal surface either all or none of its energy is absorbed by an electron it is not possible to absorb part of a photon einstein expressed this in terms of energy conservation as follows photon energy equals minimum energy needed to remove an electron from the surface of a metal that is the work function plus maximum kinetic energy of the emitted electron which is written as hf equals 5 plus e subscript k max the observed kinetic energy of an emitted electron ek may be less than the ek max if the electron has come from below the surface of the metal so the key ideas that we have learned in this section are first there is a minimum frequency of electromagnetic radiation that will produce photoelectrons from the surface of the metal this is called the threshold frequency ft the minimum energy needed to free an electron from a metal surface is called the work function phi the absorption of one photon of electromagnetic radiation releases one electron phi equals hft 
If the photon HF is greater than phi, the excess energy is transferred as kinetic energy of the emitted electron Ek. Einstein's photoelectric equation is HF equals phi plus Ek max, where Ek max is the maximum kinetic energy of an electron. Now let's look at the wave particle duality. So the photoelectric effect suggests that light behaves as particles or photons. Other phenomena such as diffraction show that light can also behave like a wave. It is possible to carry out an experiment in which light behaves as a wave in one part of the apparatus and as a particle in another. This seemingly contradictory behavior is an example of what is called wave-particle duality. This double nature is not just restricted to light. Electrons and protons, which we have traditionally pictured as particles, turn out to have wave-like characteristics as well. Now let's study something about de Broglie waves. In 1924, a young French duke, Louis de Broglie, wrote his PhD thesis all material particles have a wave nature. He predicted that the momentum mv, that is mass time velocity, would have a wavelength lambda given by, where h is the Planck constant, lambda equals h divided by the product of m and v. The wavelength lambda is called the de Broglie wavelength. Note that this wave nature of the particles does not mean that they are electromagnetic waves. De Broglie suggested that it should be possible to diffract electrons through crystalline matter. If their velocity was such that the de Broglie wavelength was comparable with the atomic spacing, about 10 to the power minus 10 meters. Clinton Davison and Lester Germer demonstrated this four years later when they successfully diffracted electrons through a crystal. Diffraction is a wave characteristic. So this confirmed the theory that electrons travel as waves. Today, this principle is used in electron microscopes. An electron diffraction tube is a primitive form of electron microscope. It produces a diffraction pattern on its fluorescent screen. If the potential difference across the tube is known, it is possible to work out the de Broglie wavelength of the electrons. The de Broglie wavelength of a particle decreases as its momentum increases. An electron that is accelerated through a potential difference of 60 kV gains a momentum of about 1.3 into 10 to the power minus 22 kg meter per second. This gives it a wavelength of about 0.005 nanometer compared with an average value for visible light of about 500 nanometer. The smaller the wavelength used to form an image, the smaller the detail we can see, the greater the resolution of the optical instrument. Imaging with electrons rather than with light increases the theoretical resolution by a hundred thousand times. Now let's look at a worked example. The potential difference across an electron diffraction tube is 5 kV. What is the de Broglie wavelength of electrons? Now first we need to find out the energy um, gained by an electron as it causes the tube. So that is 5000 electron volts. 
and in joules this is going to be e equals q times v which and when we put in the values of the charge of an electron and the voltage is 8.0 into 10 to the power minus 16 joules now this is the electron's energy so its velocity will be given approximately by half mv square and when you put in the different values that are given to us we get the velocity v as 4.2 into 10 to the power 7 meter per second now this is an extremely high speed but at about one tenth the speed of light it is low enough to be able to ignore relativistic effects the momentum of the electron is given by mv which gives us 3.8 into 10 to the power minus 23 kilograms meter per second so the de broglie wavelength of the electron is lambda equals h divided by mv which gives us 1.7 into 10 to the power minus 11 meters so the key ideas that we have discussed in this section are diffraction suggests that light is a wave and the photoelectric effect suggests that light also behaves as a particle this is called wave particle duality beams of particles such as electrons and protons can be diffracted as if they were waves all particles have a wavelength associated with them the de broglie wavelength is given by delta equals h by mv where mv is the particle's momentum and h is the planck's constant